Welcome to Monticello Podcasts, where we look at various aspects of Monticello, Thomas Jefferson, and the work of the Thomas Jefferson Foundation, which has owned and operated Monticello since 1923. I'm Chad Woolerton, Monticello's webmaster. By all accounts, the election of 1800 was a nasty affair, bitterly contested in the press and in the pulpit. Both sides made religion a key issue, and both stooped to tactics that even many modern politicos would wince at. On July 15, 2008, Edward Larson, author of A Magnificent Catastrophe, The Tumultuous Election of 1800, spoke at Monticello on the role religion played in the campaigns. In this excerpt, he highlights some of the arguments, from the clever to the absurd, each side published in the months prior to the election. In a bold-faced notice, captioned, The Grand Question Stated, all capital letters, banner headline, and reprinted every day during the months of September and October leading up to the election, the Gazette of the United States of America, which was the nation's flagship Federalist newspaper, the leading paper that the Federalists had, carried and reprinted throughout the country. It was as much a house organ of the Adams administration as Fox News is of the Republican Party today. <laughs> it starkly, under this banner, the grand question stated, it starkly presented the choice facing Christian voters in austere times. It's a block with a big black line around it on the front page of every single paper every day. And what it said below that, the grand question, not one of the questions, the grand question, it stated, at the present solemn, momentous epic, the only question to be asked by every American laying his hand on his heart is, shall I continue in allegiance with God and a religious president or impiously declare for Jefferson and no God? Triple exclamation point. Stated this way, the choice seemed easy. Although Jefferson privately denounced, quote, the lying pamphlets and absolute falsehoods of his Christian critics, he feared that responding to them public would make matters worse. Quote, as to the charges of atheism, I am so broken to charges of every kind that I entirely disregard it. Jefferson wrote to James Monroe in May of 1800, Quote, it has been so impossible to contradict all of their lies that I have determined to contradict none. For while I should be engaged with one, they would publish 20 new ones. While Jefferson thus publicly remained above the fray and didn't directly answer the religious charges, that's not what his supporters did orchestrated and organized right from here in Monticello and also from up the road at Madison's home and down the road at Monroe's home. I guess Monroe was then in, in Richmond. Um, they organized a co coordinated attack and his partisans rushed to his defense. In separate pamphlets, longtime Democratic propagandist John Beckley characterized Jefferson as, quote, an adorer of our God. And New York Democratic politician and future governor DeWitt Clinton, who of course was the son of the Jefferson's future vice president, George Clinton, hailed Jefferson, quote, as 
a real Christian. In their hands, Notes of Virginia became an epistle of orthodoxy, and they made selective quotes of their own. Democrats everywhere throughout the country, in a coordinated fashion, wooed Baptist, Methodist, Catholics, and local members of smaller denominations, the Quakers, the Jews, by contrasting Jefferson's support for religious liberty in Virginia with Adams' deference to an established church in Massachusetts. Indeed, Democrats mostly um, most deftly played the religion card when they linked Federalist support for civil religion with their larger campaign to paint Federalists as anti-democratic crypto-monarchists. <laughs> the arch-democratic Hartford Mercury newspaper in Hartford, Connecticut, for example, published a satirical creed for Federalist, which played on their supporters, um, played on the Federalist support for an established church. And in this creed, they named the three most visible Federalist leaders of the day, other than Adams himself. And I'll give you a tone. This goes a little longer than this. You can sort of know exactly how long it go. Those who go to Episcopal churches, you can get in the rhythm. Um, it, go, it fits the exact lines. And, but I'll just read it quotes to give you enough. This is the uh, Hartford Mercury. This is reprinted in, Republic, in, Federal, in Democrat newspapers throughout the country. I believe in Alexander Hamilton the mighty Creole, mighty and puissant general of the standing army, it affirmed. And in vice presidential candidate Charles Coatsworthy Pinckney, his friend and faithful follower, who was sent from heaven above to save this hapless country from the calamities of a Republican government and to confer upon it the beauty, splendor, and glory of a monarchy. Completing the Federalist Trinity, the creed turned on Adams' high-handed um, Secretary of State. And I believe in the virtuous efforts of Timothy Pinckney to prevent a peace with France and to unite us again with the English nation. This creed neatly encapsulated many of the popular arguments against continuing Federalist rule. It presumably did not include Adams in its partisan trinity because doing so would violate the Sedition Act, which would mean its editors would go to jail. Um, and this act barred malicious criticism of the president, but did not protect Hamilton or the vice presidential candidate. Turning the tables on their accusers, Democrats also questioned the piety or religious orthodoxy of many leading Federalists. This was a very clever approach to take. Remember, their candidate is being attacked as a deist or worse. Now, the Democrats are responding. Um, for example, they charged, despite his bow to civil religion by participating in public worship and proclaiming national days of prayer and fasting, Adams, they claimed, which was true, differed little from Jefferson in his personal beliefs about God. Both men inclined toward Unitarianism, though Adams kept it under wraps better than Jefferson and regularly, at least while president, attended conventional Christian church services. This led some partisans to accuse Adams of hypocrisy. Clinton, remember, DeWitt Clinton, the future governor, Riley noted in his pamphlet, I have always understood that Mr. Jefferson belonged to the Episcopal Church. How often he attends I have not inquired, but I believe he does so with as much sincerity as Mr. Adams. With both candidates sullied, some partisans descended to the level of debating the relative merits of a pious hypocrite versus a known infidel as president. 
In a long newspaper essay, for example, a Democrat wrote, Now, I don't know that John Adams is a hypocrite, or that Jefferson is a deist. Yet, supposing they are, I am of the opinion the last ought to be preferred to the first, because a secret enemy is worse than an open and avowed one. Writing for the Carolina Gazette, an exasperated Federalist replied, Mr. Adams may have no more real religion than my horse, but in a contest with an open infidel, all serious men would prefer the one who at least acknowledges his respect for his maker. For the most part, however, Christians on both sides probably accepted the professions of faith made on behalf of their party's candidates and voting accordingly. Federalists proudly pointed to Adams' public support for religious institutions. The president attended church, invoked God's name in his speeches, and declared days of prayer and fasting. Democrats countered by noting Jefferson's passion for religious liberty. He authored the Virginia Statute of Religious Freedom. Both political parties, in short, took Christian voters very seriously in this election. And it helped to turn the tide from Jefferson's two electoral vote loss in Adam to Adams in 1796, when Jefferson supporters never bothered to respond to Jefferson Adams' attacks of the Federalist tax on religion, and never sought to court religious voters and take them seriously. Two, his one-state margin of victory over Adams in 1800. You can hear Professor Larson answer questions about which state turned the tide in favor of Jefferson, how Jefferson ended up in a tie with his running mate Aaron Burr, and whether some of the political discourse of the election resulted in civil suits in the full version of his talk at www.monticello.org podcasts. Thanks for listening. <laughs>